Uh, my name's Dino Gorman. I played uh, Philly the Dwarf in The Hobbit. You're listening to the Legendarium Podcast. You could market that and sell to the fantasy community. For sure. Your ortho, we, you know, spider spray, call it sting. <laughs> totally. Done. Oh my God. I would buy a special edition, pay five bucks extra for one that glowed totally. in the dark when a if spider was If it was actually like a sting, like dagger that you're spraying the stuff out of. I miss Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is episode 241. Today, we are discussing The Hobbit, chapters 8 through 11. Today's episode is sponsored by Story Hack, action and adventure, modern anthology fiction with a classic feel. You can visit storyhack.com to learn more, and we'll have more about that later in the show. I'd like to remind you that The Legendarium is available on your favorite podcast player, but if you're looking for older episodes, you can find them grouped by subject at thelegendariumpodcast.com. If you enjoy what we do here, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And of course, tell your friends and leave a review. I'm your host, Craig Hanks. And with me today, well, he's constantly inviting me to dance in the woods with elves. But I've heard those code words before, and I was raised better than that. It's Kyle Lemon. What's our safety word? I'm not really sure. I think it's elves. <laughs> Barrels. <laughs> Gosh. And we'll stuff him in a barrel and throw him in a river because that's the only way I'd ever ride him. It's Ryan Bruckman. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's so disturbing. My goal every week barrels. now... Barrels. Barrels. <laughs> Please don't fill my barrel. My goal every week now is to insult you in such a way that you don't have an immediate comeback. Okay. I, want to, I want to leave you speechless. So my, For some strange reason, my inclination was to go, say my name, say my name. <laughs> and I decided not to go with that because it didn't Well, you did now. Well, yeah, now because it it's forever it. recorded. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, look. For your posterity. <sighs> so much On for track, our... track, high-end, legendarium quality audio <laughs> coming into your ears from our barrels. Who was our sponsor this week? Wow. Because they got a winner. Wow. Mark that one. <laughs> yeah, we're going to beat the sh- uh, we're we're gonna beat that for sure. Wow, <laughs> I'm half tempted to restart this episode. <laughs> right. I don't know. Should I don't know? Is this is this gold or dross? It's difficult to say. Fool's gold. It's mithril. <laughs> so we're off to a rip roaring start, ladies and gentlemen. Today is uh, we're discussing The Hobbit, chapters eight through eleven. So if you're curious where we're at in the story. Uh, we have left Baron's house. We've entered Mirkwood. We've encountered the spiders. Uh, we've gone to visit the prison of the elves in Mirkwood. And then coming coming out the other side of Mirkwood, we rode down the river in some barrels, got to Lake Town where we met those cheerful folk. And then we've climbed the mountain. Now we are at the Lonely Mountain. We've opened the door. We're about to enter Smog's uh, kingdom. And that, that's where we're at. Did I miss anything important? I think that should just about cover it. But those are the things we're going to talk about today. Um, let's start with uh, a very a very classy discussion, uh, you know, highbrow, um, you know, very, very academic discussion of Chapter 8. So, uh, Ryan, do you want to give us a little bit more uh, detail on what happens in this chapter, flies and spiders? Nope. Nope. Kyle, do you want to do it? Uh, basically, the company gets captured by spiders in the middle of the woods. 
<laughs> Bilbo um, has to save him. Do I have to do everything around here? <laughs> this is where Sting gets its name. The chapter where Sting gets its it name. Is. <sighs> well, that's true. All right, so we enter Mirkwood, and they've had lots of warnings about what Mirkwood is. We can tell which one of us is the purest out of the three. <laughs> <laughs> Scary woods. Uh, you know, lots lots can happen here. They are warned by Gandalf to absolutely 100% stay on the path. Let me ask you this. Sorry, I know uh, you're, you're in the middle I'm of I'm on a roll, man. <laughs> you're on the path. This Nothing. is 100% the worst episode we've ever done. I believe You're it. staying on the path. We are going off the path. We're going to get in spider webs, and you're going to have to come save us. I hate you guys. I have a question for you, and quite frankly, I don't care if it's relevant here or not. Mirkwood, is it becoming dark because of Sauron's influence, or was it dark beforehand? Uh, it's Sauron's influence. It used to be called Greenwood the Great. It is now Mirkwood. These, so these, because they, that, that's for me, the spiders are coming, they're now there because of the influence of the dark coming. They weren't there right. previously. They're not normal creatures to that place prior to this uh well yes and no i mean the giant spider it's not like they sprang into existence because they were created by sauron but uh, yeah they have multiplied and thrived because of the malevolent influence of the necromancer in the southern reaches of mirkwood in dol Guldur. because this forest is shared by the elves right yeah they're in the northern region this is a big forest okay big big big, big forest yeah i was just curious because i just imagine the elves having this Mirkwood encroaching darkness onto their life. They're like, why that's not a bigger issue? Or maybe I just missed it when they talked about, you know, the encroaching darkness on our land. Um, well, I mean, it is a big issue. It's been going on for quite a while. We're in the third age, 2941. Um, and Smaug took over Erebor in 2770. So it's been 171 years since then. Um, and in those intervening years, Sauron's spirit, his essence, has returned to Dol Guldur. I believe that's correct. I believe it was in those intervening years that he came back and started spreading his influence. Uh, so it's been going on for a little while. Slow gentrification. Got it. Gentrification. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The uh, that's why the um, the spiders, the the talking spiders, all have these kind of like Brooklyn accents, right? <laughs> I vision them all with slightly hipster attitudes. Yeah, and... absolutely. It's like. Uh, like, yeah, I, I want to eat the dwarves, but I, I need to get through this avocado toast first as my appetizer. <laughs> so, okay, right. What, Kyle? Uh, nothing. Do you, you have just, more hipster jokes to make? No, I don't. I was just, in my own mind, when you're talking about, you know, the spiders have thrived because of this, I was just thinking the same thing happened in my basement when I stopped spraying home defense. So, <laughs> I feel I feel your pain, yeah, Middle Earth. I've got, your, I've got your solution right here <laughs> at Home Depot. Yep. <laughs> I don't um, have a sting though. <laughs> Gotta get me one of those. So they are Amazon. Uh, well, they could Ryan really sell, market that. You could market that and sell to the fantasy community for sure. Your ortho, we you know, spider spray. Call it sting. <laughs> totally done. Oh my god! I would buy a special edition, pay five bucks extra for one that glowed in totally. the dark when a spider was If ortho was actually like a sting, like dagger that you're spraying the stuff out of. I miss Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to your recap. Okay, so we've wandered in the woods. Stay on the <laughs> path, Kyle. On the path. We're on the path. <sighs> <laughs> Leave that in, please. <sighs> All right. So stay on the path. They don't stay on the path. They end up getting. Uh, they, they end up getting chased down by spiders. But they don't stay on the path because there's a, an effect of the forest. 
Okay, so tell me more about the effect of the forest. I'm trying desperately to get you to engage with this story, right? Well, that's what I it's these things coming here, but it's <laughs> it's not just like hey that they wanted to walk off the path. I, I maybe there's a shortcut over yep. here. It was a literal something that started to affect their minds as they walked which led them off the path. Do we know what that is? Uh well, it's magic. So it's the the magic mm. of Mirkwood. Now, <laughs> this is a common and this is why some people like modern fantasy readers who are used to harder magic systems, uh, read Tolkien and get a little bit uh, annoyed by his magic because it is an extremely soft magic system. He never bothers to explain how a wizard is able to do what he does or why um, the, the, the malevolence of Dol Guldur, Dol Guldur is able to spread across Mirkwood. That's not explained and it's not it's not meant to be. And so I think there's there are two things at play here. There's the elves' magic and there's Sauron's magic. Uh, and so the elves have obviously a, a less malevolent version. But, you know, you can reach back into the Silmarillion and you have examples of uh, the girdle of Melian who... Uh, it, okay, it doesn't matter. I don't think you've been there in the Silmarillion, Ryan. We haven't read those chapters. Uh, or Galadriel has I very similar... I don't remember similar... anything about a girdle. I know. Uh, Galadriel has a very similar thing going on in Lorien. Lorien, she learned it from Melian, where you know it, it's it's this border that they magically construct and it confuses people who wander into it so that they're able to ensnare them. Right. So you got the elves' magic, you've got the dark magic of Sauron, and and uh, it's it's becoming an altogether unpleasant place for uh, creatures who are not uh, native to it. Right. Okay. So, um, but. But beyond that, that's the in-world explanation. But if we want to, you know, look at the influences and whatnot, this is a common thing in Germanic and other northern traditions, right? The woods. Don't go in the woods, Little Red Riding Hood or whoever else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't go in the woods. That's where wolves are. And what do these things represent, right? You know, it because back at that time, the world was a little wilder a lot wilder than it is now. And the woods were indeed a scary place. And, you know, kids weren't kept on such a tight leash as they are now with helicopter parents and whatnot. And, you know, if a kid wandered into the woods, there was every chance that they would get lost. And, you know, even if it wasn't getting eaten by a, a wild animal, they'd get lost and starve and die. Don't go in the woods, right? And so this is a, a common thing and Tolkien's grabbing that and using it for his own purposes. And so if you do go in the woods, there is a road. And I'm talking real world, right? Like, you know, back in medieval Germany and England and wherever else, if you got to go in the woods, there is an established path. Other people have gone before. This is a safe way through the woods. Don't leave the path. And this is just the fantasy version of that, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, does that answer your question? I think so. Do you remember your question? No. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> more appropriate for me to ask. Uh, okay. So then we get captured by spiders. Um, this is for me, one of the more memorable moments in the book, uh, you know, every, it's like every chapter has something in it that when you look back on the book, you know, there, whether it's falling down the pit into the orc's den, or you've got Gollum, or you've got uh, Bayorn in Bayorn's house, every chapter has something that you can look back and say, oh, okay, that was, that was the interesting part of that chapter. But I feel like this, the spiders is kind of. If you had to pick three or four things to remember from the entire book, they would make that list, at least for me. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, I think so. I know they definitely make the list for my six-year-old when we just finished reading this. Yeah. Uh, she's not a fan of the spiders, but 
I I remember the spiders very vividly, and I remember especially the like 1977 cartoon version of The mm-hmm. Hobbit. I can still see those spiders in my mind every time I read through it. I think yeah. of that scene. Um, but yeah, I one the fact that they talk and that Bilbo can understand what they're saying as they're hissing at each other, talking about eating the dwarves and stuff like that. Super super creepy. Uh, and two, this is when Bilbo. I don't, it's not the first time that he gains some courage, but he uses his dagger and he names it Sting. And the point in any fantasy story when your blade gets a name is an important milestone. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah absolutely. So there's, um, we talked in our Lord of the Rings episodes about how uh, the there's the imagery that's also borrowed from other older myths when... Bilbo gives Sting to Frodo. He first buries it in a bedpost, I want to say. It's something in the room. He stabs it into this bedpost. And so Frodo must remove the sword from this object, right? So it's very sword in the stone kind of imagery. Uh, and so that's how he's passing it on. But yeah, same, same thing. Like if, you're, if your sword has a name then it is uh, it's important right mm-hmm. we talked about what was that it was like an irish beer or something last time was it leg biter beer uh you know that's oh. named after uh, a king's sword from ancient norway or something like that i can't remember anyway um but yeah spiders terrifying and in fact i've got a quote from tolkien here um he was being interviewed for a radio show and he says, I put in the spiders largely because this was, you remember, primarily written for my children. At least I had them in mind. And one of my sons in particular dislikes spiders with a great intensity. I did it to thoroughly frighten him, and it did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Father of the year, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Hey, you know. No, I think. But he won't go into the woods and wander off, though. Exactly. So, uh, okay. So spiders, uh, you know, I don't like spiders. I really don't like spiders. And uh, the idea of giant spiders is scary enough, but then once those giant spiders start talking, forget it. I'm done. The idea of, in real life, I think the closest thing we have to these is like the huntsman spiders of Australia. And legitimately, like as much as I would love to visit Australia, that is something that I'm terrified of. And it's like prevented me from buying a ticket because you would think twice. I, I would absolutely think twice and be like, okay, what, where I'm at, what's the likelihood of me seeing something that is the size of my head? Yep. Like that. Like, uh, so quick tangent story. Okay. When I was in Guatemala, we were hitchhiking. We got in the back of a banana truck. Nope, mm-hmm. nope, nope, nope. Wonder- I'm done with this story. Well, I'm good. I'm going to keep going for the listeners. Jump in the back of the banana truck, hitchhike, I don't know, 20 miles down the road. Have my backpack on my lap. We're oh. just sitting there talking. When we stop at our de- whatever our destination was to hop out, pull the backpack off my lap, three banana spiders on my leg. Banana spiders about the size of your hand. Very uh, venomous, not good. So naturally, scream like a little girl, you know, wipe them off my leg with my backpack and then do the whole Ace Ventura, like, they're in my hair, they're in my hair thing for like pretty much the remainder. The rest of your life. Yeah, I'm still doing it. So (laughs) that was an experience. I... Mirkwood bananas. I I, uh, (laughs) I do not like this Can I say something? Up to this point, if you stopped reading right here... This group would seem like a really bad set of travelers. They're not good at their jobs. No. It's, uh, in fact, I think it's Bilbo at this point. Or no, it might be when they get to the elves. Uh, they're, they're locked up in the elves' prison. 
But at some point, Bilbo says, well, geez, ever since Gandalf left, here I am doing all the hard work. Or no, mm-hmm. it's actually, yeah, he says that when they get to uh, when they get to Erebor and they're climbing up to the door, or they, they get to the front door and they're like, oh, hey, Bilbo, you got that magic ring, right? You're up, slugger. Mm-hmm. Like, this sounds like a perfect <laughs> job for you. And he's like, well, come on. I can't do everything for you. But yeah, he kind of does at this point. Yeah, this great group of warrior dwarves who are going to reclaim their homeland have managed somehow managed to be trapped by trolls, <laughs> fall into a pit, spiders. Trolls, trolls orcs, spiders, orcs. soon elves. And none, there's no like fight sequence where they're captured either. It's just they are captured straight <laughs> out, of the, <laughs> out of the bat. Bumble into it and they're just like, eh. So I do want to mention a few more things about the spiders. Um, oh, where's my note about them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so everybody hates Tolkien's songs and poems, right? Everybody hates them. I don't. I don't. I don't hate them. You don't I was actually going to bring that up. Okay, good. What do you want to say about them? Then I'll, I'll probably have Just that I like them. That I, I think that it it lends to the idea that this was written for children and they're kind of his version of like nursery rhymes and and catchy, fun breakups to the story. And actually, when like I said, when I was reading this aloud to my daughter, those were some of her favorite parts because we'd get through, you know, two or three pages of story of prose and then we could kind of have this sing-songy little breakup for her and she would really latch onto those. Um, so she... She still will walk by when she'll like at dinner time, and she'll talk about how, um, how those dwarves just bent all of Bilbo's forks and stuff like that. <laughs> so it just really upset her that they would bend the forks and crack the plates. That's funny. and so I like them. That's adorable. Yeah, she's all right. Yeah, that's great. Um, so here's one of the uh, I I like the I like the little rhymes too. Uh, so Frodo, uh, or sorry, Frodo, Bilbo is trying to lead the spiders away. The spiders have captured all the dwarves. They're hanging up in the tree, and Bilbo is trying to lead them away with the ring on. So he's invisible, and he's singing at them. Old fat spider spinning in a tree. Old fat spider can't see me. Attercop, Attercop, won't you stop? Stop your spinning and look for me. Um, Attercop. That's a weird thing to call a spider. Are you going to tell us where it came from? Professor Hanks has entered the building. Uh, yeah, I actually am. So <laughs> it's a Middle English word from the Old English atrocopa, uh, which means <clears throat> spider. So, but I love that. You know, it's he knew a lot of words for a lot of different things, right? And so for for spider, you need uh, you don't need, but if you have it in your arsenal, you have it. You're ready. Several different words for the same thing. And so what is it? It's a spider. And so if I'm writing a book, they're spiders. That's what they're called. They're spiders. But for him, they're adder cops because it's a great word. It's going to rhyme with a bunch of stuff and it has a good rhythm to it, right? So you can throw it in there, call him adder cop, adder cop. And he says something like, well, as you know, spiders hate being called that, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. he's able to inject a lot of great humor in it. There's also um, the next one, Bilbo continues trying to lead them away. He calls them lazy lob and crazy cob are weaving webs to wind me. Lob and cob, both words for spider, believe it or not. So lob is from the Old English, lopa, uh, and cob is a a rare form of the word spider, but probably comes from cobweb. There you go. So correct me if if I'm wrong, though. These Mirkwood spiders are related to she lob. Right. Who is related to? Ryan, 
No, you don't remember that part. I don't know if we ever read that part in the Silmarillion, Ungoliant. Oh, yeah, we did because uh, Girith Ungul is, means, means spider. spider. Yeah, the path of, or path. Pass of the spider. Yeah. Uh, so Ungoliant is, uh, is the mother of Shelob and is actually of the same eternal race as Sauron and Gandalf and Saruman and the Balrogs and whatnot. One of them took the form of a giant spider and had offspring, and that's what we're dealing with here. So these, yeah. And that's where Kyle and I are going to start writing our... Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings fan fiction about spider, <laughs> spider elf. Jeez, <laughs> oh, is this a thing? Well, in the in the chat, to, the yes. chat that we were talking about, I remember, Craig, but other people don't. I'm know about to explain chat. it, so shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the chat, in the legendarium chat, discussing when we were going to record this episode, Craig said that we were going to be talking about spiders, elves, and whatever else we're going to be talking about. And I read it as we're going to be talking about spider elves, and I was like what is a spider elf? And then Ryan came up with a basically like a movie pitch or a story yeah. pitch for spider elf. Yeah. We, we can tell the story. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, do you want us to pitch the, the pitch? The I movie? want you to pitch. What is spider elf? It's the story of Peter, pa- Peter Parkongo, Parkogelfin. <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even write it anymore. Peter's got a, an apostrophe in there somewhere though. But we held to the, we held true to the, the Peter, Spider-Man. Peter Pattercup. Yeah. <laughs> basically he, you know, is a he gets bitten by a spider who is been washed in the rivers of the Aranin that has been touched by the hand of uh, Iluvatar and <laughs> and and with the daughter you know it's his whole thing they still kill Uncle Ben don't worry we still kill Uncle Ben and then Uncle he Bayorn. has to go through <laughs> Uncle Baron <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, that's fantastic yes ish <laughs> okay we should probably leave the spiders behind is there anything else we want to oh, say we about should have left them behind a while ago we're good let's go that's true okay all right we got to go to the elves. Uh, okay, so the the elves, this scene, we're now starving, trying to run through the woods. We've lost our way, and the elves are, uh, they're partying. They're having keggers out in the woods. At least they're trying to. I, that's what, I mean, they're dancing. They've got these fires going. They're all just kind of partying. I'm picturing an elven kegger, um, and you can't stop me. So they're in the woods, and then these drunken dwarves are not drunken. These starving dwarves are stumbling toward them. And every time they get close, the elves disappear and they run away and they set up camp somewhere else. And the dwarves have to go find them again. And finally they get, they get captured and thrown in prison by uh, the, the elven king. And that's the only name that we're given in this. We don't know until Lord of the Rings that his name is Thranduil and that he's Legolas' father and all that stuff. That doesn't come into play until later. Um, so right now he's just known as the elven king. And they get chucked in prison. And Bilbo, once again, has to save their bacon. What, what are your thoughts on this before I dig into some of mine? Just the elves are just seem like real ass. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you'll have to edit that out. There's I a, lot of, which, a lot of editing in this episode. I forget which, you know, we're on an, an official episode here. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I just always, they always just came across as like, one, to Ryan's point earlier about Mirkwood, like, what were you doing, elves, while all of this dark influence was happening at your at your doorstep? Like, thanks for that. But also, they just don't help the dwarves out in any way. And it just seems like a real bad move. Well, yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit. Because, like, yeah, they seem really, um, they seem really pissy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get away from us. How dare they're you uppity. encroach upon our land? I mean, they're elves, but... All right. And I mean, the elves distrust the dwarves, uh, and I get that, but I can kind of sympathize with the elves here a little bit. Okay, so 
they live in the same forest, like you said, as the newly ascendant necromancer. And so mm-hmm. they've got they've got this to deal with. They're surrounded by giant talking spiders. Um, and uh, all they know is that every time they try to get out in the woods and have one of these keggers, this ragged group of dwarves stumbles toward them, uh, probably with spider webs in their beards and, sh- you know, shouting <laughs> like they're high on something. Yeah, you gotta help us out. And so, Fred, that would freak me out. I'd run away too. I think you would too. So, you know yeah. what? I'm sympathizing with the elves here. All right. Anyway, okay. So, they eventually capture the, the elves, throw them in prison, or sorry, capture the dwarves, throw them in prison, and Bilbo busts them out uh, with the barrels. Uh, we're not gonna spend a lot of time there with the elves, and that's fine. It's more just an obstacle for them to get past. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think if there's anything I do want to say. I Oh, I will say this. In the discussion of the elves, even in 1937, the first edition, before all the changes were made, there were all there was already a lot of discussion, or a little bit of mention, I should say, of high elves and um, light elves and sea elves and all this stuff. He mentions all these, and that's from his mythology uh, from the Silmarillion, which obviously was nowhere near publication yet, but he had it in mind. And I'm sometimes tempted to think that he didn't inject that stuff until the second edition when he wanted to bring it more in line with the Lord of the Rings, but he did. He had a lot of that stuff in there already, those mentions. So uh, he knew exactly what the elves were, um, and they looked nothing like that cartoon version from the 70s. So Yeah, those are creepy elves. Those are weird, weird freaking elves. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's also the question of whether elves have pointy ears or not. Do you guys have any opinion on this? I'm going to go with, yeah. (laughs) I've seen the movies. (laughs) Do I have an opinion? Not a strong one, but yes. Sure, yeah, they have have pointy ears. Yeah, there's there's no mention in The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings about whether the elves have pointy ears. Um, He never comes down on that. He describes them in not great detail, but some detail, uh, but he never gets to the ears. And so some people, you know, they wonder about that. There is one mention in... uh, history of middle earth volume five and uh, there, there's mention of uh, the, uh you know what it 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 doesn't matter it's <laughs> they have point they probably have pointy ears i don't care <laughs> who cares yeah go read chapter or book five of history of middle earth you can find out all about it the, the the whole thing my whole understanding of this portion as to why the dwarves are being imprisoned and why they're here is when they Basically, it announced they're going to Erebor. The king demands that like, he has a portion that he feels that he deserves from the riches. Right. So this is basically a, hey, we're going to bring in this army into the Battle of the Five Armies later because they are someone who believes they deserve a portion of what the treasure inside mm-hmm. of Erebor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, we got that. Yep. We're good to move on. Yeah, yeah, we're good to move on. So now... Maybe you guys have all already covered this in previous episodes that I wasn't on. Um but I'd like to ask the question, why do you think this structure is the way that it is? Where you, you have basically a chapter or a scene where, like we talked about this before, the dwarves get captured, we have to rescue them. The next thing, the dwarves get captured, we have to rescue them. The dwarves get captured again. Like, why Why is there such a cyclical structure there? I mean, there's probably four or five really fun scenes that are basically the same thing when you break it down mm-hmm. right now maybe for this one you pinpoint it as we got to bring the elves into the battle of the five armies that's the whole point of this portion 
But why does why do you think Tolkien did that? Do you think it's because he wrote he wrote this for his children and he's trying to teach them a lesson? Or I don't know. Just curious. I mean, I have my opinion. Ryan, do you have yours? I I do think that it's just a goal to keep things simple. Um, I wouldn't classify this in, in a lot of fantasy. You have a try fail cycle. It's pretty mm-hmm. common in writing. Like this, right. is, this isn't a try fail cycle because they're not trying something. They just keep getting captured. Right. And like, I don't want it to sound like I'm bored by this because that's not what I'm saying. Each of these little adventure things is fine. It's just repetitive, mm-hmm. and you start to notice it uh, as an older reader, especially. Right. As a child, maybe not so much. My you know, my child can watch the same six episodes of Pocoyo like <laughs> every day and yep. be fine. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of like the structure of this. Okay, we got to go back into peril. Just the simplicity of it. Basically, Just keeping it that, simple and saying, yeah. all right, we're in trouble again. Now we need to get out. How are we going to get out this time? Because mm-hmm. each time, the, the way they get out each time has been a little different. Uh, the sun coming up and get like Bilbo is using his ability to talk and confuse. No, that's Gandalf. Well, Gandalf's from the woods. Bilbo doesn't. No, 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 no. Gandalf's the one throwing his voice. Yes. So no, that this kind of actually leads into what my point would be is like, yeah, it is kind of similar, this cyclical uh, idea of them getting into trouble and then getting out of trouble. But as we go through the story, there's a progression of how they get out of trouble, and we've got Gandalf gets them out of trouble. Gandalf gets them out of trouble. Gandalf gets them out of trouble, and suddenly at some point it shifts, and Bilbo has to figure something out. And with each, it's it's leveling him up, right? Right. With each progressive adventure mm-hmm. in each chapter, Bilbo is learning more about himself, gaining confidence, mm-hmm. so that the next time this happens, the next time he's called on to do something difficult, uh, he feels a little more prepared, a little more able. And so when the spiders capture the dwarves, Bilbo's like, oh, geez, this, what am I going to do? You know, and he stumbles across his plan, but he is not, super stoked about this when they get to the uh, elven kingdom he's got the ring ready to go he's like i've been through this i know how this goes i i can i can handle this right he has a little bit more confidence mm-hmm. than he did previously and so I, that's where i see it it's yeah. yes it's repetitive and i think that has something to do with the the idea that this is for children so i like what you guys are saying about the simplicity and that's easy to comprehend um and even if a child doesn't understand this their brain does right they're processing this idea of succeeding at something gaining confidence and being ready for the next thing that comes up in a similar vein up until the point where bilbo is finally actually he leads out on the adventure where like he's the one who has to go in on his own in uh to uh, see smog right and we're gonna get to that uh in a little while we'll get to that in the next episode i think we got two more hobbit episodes after this uh, if we go with this pattern that we've been on uh, but yeah, the next time he's going to be a little more confident and understand that his role is now as leader of the party. Uh, and then especially when the Battle of the Five five Armies occurs, he's going to really not just accept a leadership position, but actually get out, take the initiative and do something um, that nobody called on him to do, mm-hmm. but that he just understood needed to be done. So yeah, we'll get to all that. But anyway, uh, how's that for an answer? Perfect. No, just wanted to pose the the question. Yeah. Okay. So we have written down the uh, the river, the Anduin, and uh, is it the Anduin? No, it's not. It's the other one. I can't remember the name of it. Doesn't matter. We're... You don't want to. You don't want to have any discussion about the barrel riding sequence. That hack move. <sighs> Speaking of hacks. <laughs> There's your, there, that's, that was a beautiful transition. Thank you. 
I do need to remember that this episode <laughs> is brought to us by a sponsor, and that sponsor is Story Hacks. You know who's not a story hack? Anybody who publishes in Story Hacks. Uh, <laughs> all right. The world today is a busy place filled with idiots saying dumb things on social media, shiny new streaming services every couple of weeks, not to mention the financial, family, and job stresses of life. It's enough to wear a person down. Fortunately, there's a magazine that can help you tune out the noise and enjoy a few minutes of escape into worlds of pure excitement and imagination. Story, Hack, Action, and Adventure is an anthology series designed to recharge those batteries and get you ready and refreshed to jump back into the fray of real life. Each issue of Story, Hack, Action, and Adventure allows you to explore new genres through pulse-pounding stories from up-and-coming authors. From military sci-fi tales, sword and sorcery yarns, to modern crime thrillers, and even daring jungle adventures. The one thing the stories share is a non-stop sheer excitement. And right now, you can get your first digital issue absolutely free. Just visit storyhack.com for more information. That's storyhack.com. Storyhack action and adventure, modern fiction with a classic feel. And thank you very much, Storyhack, for sponsoring the Legendarium podcast. All right, so shall we move on with our Hobbit stuff? Do you want to talk about the movie here, Ryan? I mean, if you, if we really want to get into just the masterful CGI one shot that was the barrel ride, like do a barrel, about forty of them. No, <laughs> oh that's man, fine. let's not let's not dwell on on those things. My favorite is it's this tiny tiny transition sequence in the book, and it is a forty-five minute, maybe not forty-five minutes, but <sighs> it just is awful. It's I. I I remember somebody timed it at one point, right? I think it's a 12 or 15 minute scene where they're crashing through the river. And look, I know we're not supposed to talk about the movies much, but I will just say in a, in a, in a trilogy of movies full of egregiousness, that is maybe the most egregious thing that they did was the barrel writing sequence. Uh, it's, it's upsetting to even think about. So that's why I didn't want to talk about it. I don't know. I bet somebody out there listening really disagrees and thinks that the barrel writing scene was a genius addition to uh, a nearly flawless film series. But whatever. Whoever's out there working on the barrel barrel ride ride for Hobbitland. <laughs> they're like, womp womp. Yeah. Craig doesn't like this. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to stop building it. <laughs> oh, my bomber cosplay is now useless. <laughs> Had a bomber in a barrel. So we get to Lake Town. There, there's all these adventures. They're getting to, well, there's all these kind of pit stops along the way. But eventually they get to Lake Town. And finally, this, so this is a chapter called A Warm Welcome. Because after the last homely house, even a, in a place like Bayorn's house, there's still that kind of edge. They weren't sure what he was going to do. You or can be say, here, but I'm, you're not welcome. You're not welcome, but yeah, you, but I'm not going to eat you in your sleep, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, but now they're getting a warm welcome because they're in Lake Town. And Lake Town, as I mentioned, it's been 171 years since uh, since Smaug sacked um, Dale and Erebor, you know, the, those kingdoms. And so it's been a little while, but it's still within not living memory for the, the people of Dale, but within kind of uh, living legend. I was like, that seems like a really big time span for bard to be related well he's a he's a descendant just so, a descendant yeah it's not like his son or anything so there's there was a get Ga not garion that's the name of the what's the name like galleon david eddings. yeah that's david eddings i can't remember the name of his ancestor but yeah the guy who was the hero of dale 
uh, but he was he was killed by Smog in that initial attack, and now Bard the Bowman is the descendant of that of that uh, Bowman. So he's um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, it's been 171 years, and I was thinking about this. It's uh, let's see, 2019. So we are broadcasting, as you may know, from the great state of Utah. We have our own set of legends and stories and whatnot that we tell from about that time frame ago, because that's when the Mormon pioneers went from uh, wherever it was, uh, Illinois, I guess, crossed the plains and came. And we still celebrate. We have parades every July to celebrate, you know, the pioneers coming in and all that. So it's kind of a, a familiar thing where you have these legends and stories. And for the people of Lake Town, it's, yeah, we used to live in this dope city on the shoulder of the mountain uh, where there's just untold wealth coming out from the dwarves doing their thing in Erebor. And uh, life was pretty darn good. And we got chased down to this lake by this dragon. You know, life sucks now, but oh, the good old days, right? And so you can imagine them telling these stories over and over again. And so when Bilbo and the dwarves finally show up and they say, you know, Thorin announces himself very grandly, I am Thorin, I'm here to take back the mountain. And everybody's like, hell yeah, go get that gold. <laughs> we could use some of that. We're poor and sad. Why did you decide to build on a lake? You're chased out by the dragon, like rebuilding on the lake. I don't know. It's fun. <laughs> Curious as to the rebuild structure on that. <laughs> I appreciate the Lake Town people's optimism, given the fact that this party, obviously they don't know this, but... This party's been captured multiple times and is basically useless. <laughs> and he's like, I'm here to slay the dragon. And they're like, yeah, you're going to well, do it's... that. And it's like, no, you can't even like get out of bed without falling in a goblin pit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of mention of that because uh, when they show up at the, the master's hall, I can't remember what it's called, but they show up, they announce themselves. We're here to take back our, our ancestral homeland. Um, and there are some elven uh, rivermen, boatmen, whatever they call them, mm-hmm. the the envoys from the elves who are there to kind of oversee shipments and whatnot. Uh, they're there and they're like, hey, wait a minute. These guys escaped. They're our prisoners. And Thorin has this speech about, screw you. We made it out. We're not even in your country anymore. So you shut your mouth. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to the, the master of Lake Town now. It's a great little speech. I like it a lot. Um, and so there's already acknowledgement that they, you know, were captured by the elves. Uh, womp womp. And then when they finally leave Lake Town and they're starting their their climb up Erebor, their uh, guides from Lake Town who have kind of been shuttling them up the river, they finally, at a certain point, they're like, we're out, we're done. Yeah, we're too close. This is where people go to die and Smog is going to eat us. And so we're out of here and we go back. Uh, and there's a great line in the book. I don't have it pulled up just now, but I'm gonna, where he says... Um, None of the men of the town would stay with them, even for the night so near the shadow of the mountain. Not at any rate until the songs have come true, said they. It was easier to believe in the dragon and less easy to believe in Thorin uh, in these wild parts. Anyway, so I think that concept is kind of uh, touched on, even if it's right. not really explored. So, yeah, they, they kind of, it, it's a good excuse to throw a party and have a feast and say, hey, best of luck to you. It's been great to see you. Have a, have a good time getting burnt to a crisp and eaten. Right. I totally see how Dr. Seuss ripped this off for the Grinch who stole Christmas. What? <laughs> what? What? The Who's down in Whoville were terrified to go up on the mountain where the Grinch lived. Oh. And they wouldn't go that far. They wouldn't go up there. 
Oh, okay. And so they they have their Christmas feast and everything. Just, just, come on, man. Uh, sorry, I'm not. I, I'm not a Doctor Seuss guy. I don't clearly. Care. I don't care for Doctor Seuss. Oh, the places you won't go, sir. You will <laughs> not go. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, okay, so we're we're going up the mountain, and uh, there's there's the whole thing with the thrush. They're looking for a thrush. What, that thrush this... has to be important, though. Well, it is important. It's part of like a prophecy, right? They're looking for the, at the sign of the thrush. I was just curious if that was like hand of divinity or something putting there because knowing where a bird's gonna be or like because the bird was that bird only there on that year or does that bird come back every year and knock and they got no one's here like <laughs> yeah i don't know i think this is again part of that it, the idea of a soft magic system there's in this case we have a very soft prophecy system right and so okay. there's this at the sign of the thrush and so when bilbo sees the thrush he remembers that but it's like you know, that's not something that we've been dwelling on throughout the whole book. Oh, that sign of the thrush. I'm looking out for the thrush. I'm looking. There it is. It's just kind of, it happens. And then there's a little callback to it. But there's still also the moment, and it's later on, so we won't spend too much time. But when the thrush is the one who goes to Bard and explains about the dragon scale. Right. And Bard is part of the ancestry that can listen to the thrushes and hear them speak. Like, Lucky him. It's like, this bird is important. I would... In all of the additional mythos out there, I don't know if that's the right use or not, but did he ever write the story of the thrush in the Silmaril or something? Or no, is there anything? No, no, no. Okay. That's not a thing. Yeah, it's just in The Hobbit. Fanfic, here we go. Hmm. You guys are going to be writing a lot of fanfiction here coming up. Can you do something about thrushes hey. versus spiders? That's how you make a the... bunch of money according to Twilight. <laughs> hey, Spider-Man had a villain called the Vulture. We can make the thrush the spider elf's one of his nemeses. It's true. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm going to go on from that <laughs> and ignore it. Uh, with this chapter, the climb up to the door, this is the one chapter that I would single out from the entire book and say, I'm not sure that there's a lot of, you know, memorable moments in this until we get to the opening of the door. Uh, but what do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Is there anything that really jumps out to you? Considering I can't remember anything other than the fact that they climb, no. <laughs> well, they do pass the city of Dale, and so we get yeah. a little bit of uh, a little bit of history there. We understand now what happened back then. So you know, Bilbo gets to hear the story of what happened to the town of Dale. Uh, he's he's haunted by that imagery as he climbs. You know, he's afraid that he might have to look at the city once again on their way back down and that sort of thing. Um, and so there, there are little things, but as far as something as memorable as giant spiders or Gollum or trolls, this chapter doesn't really have that. No. But what it does have, and this is my, uh, you know, just kind of my opinion, what I really love about this is uh, the there's some really great prose in this chapter in the last couple of paragraphs. And so people talk about, Tolkien sometimes with a little bit of derision in their voice when it comes to his writing. They say, oh, you know, he's a great storyteller. Yeah, he came up with these languages and whatnot, but he wasn't a very good writer. Screw that noise. I think he was a great writer. And uh, so here's some example of that. So this is the last two paragraphs of chapter 11, and they've, they've come up to the door, and the light, this beam of light is shining on the door, and the, the, key, the keyhole opens up. This is not the good prose. Don't worry. Uh, the keyhole opens up and Bilbo's sh shouting at Thorin to hurry up while there's still time. Then Thorin stepped up and drew the key on his chain from around his neck. He put it to the hole. It fitted and it turned. Snap. The gleam went out. The sun sank. 
the moon was gone, and evening sprang into the sky. Now they all pushed together, and slowly a part of the rock wall gave way. Long straight cracks appeared and widened. A door five feet high and three broad was outlined and slowly, without a sound, swung inwards. It seemed as if darkness flowed out like a vapor from the hole in the mountainside, and deep darkness in which nothing could be seen lay before their eyes, a yawning mouth leading in and down. And those are the last words of the chapter. I just think that is so good. Such good writing uh, in both those paragraphs and in a lot of this story, to be perfectly honest. But when I read that, it just, you know, when I get to those paragraphs, it makes me stop cold and go, you know what? That dude knew how to construct a paragraph for sure. So now we've reached the end of chapter 11. Are there any other things that you guys want to bring up? Uh, any other questions that you have? Any other points you want to bring up? Final thoughts on these chapters before we call it a night? Ready to move on to Smog. Yeah, Smog mm -hmm. is going to be a good portion of this. Uh, so we will get to that. I think, we, like I said, we're going to do two more episodes of The Hobbit, uh, or as Kyle's daughter likes to call it. The Hobbit. The Hobbit, which is adorable. Um, so I believe we're going to do, again, four chapters for the next episode, 12 through 15. Uh, that will take us into um, Smog's lair, etc. And then uh, the, the last episode that we'll do on the hobbit we'll finish the book out with those last four chapters so i hope that you'll join us for that and uh once again i miss stephanie i guess you're okay kyle but whatever uh we'll see if we can get uh, stephanie back as well for the next one because i know that there are some listeners who were disappointed in in that um, she's been a good addition to these episodes so make sure you visit us at patreon.com legendarium if you enjoy the show visit us at thelegendarium.reddit.com to join the conversation there and we will see you guys next time okay you're gonna have some fun editing choices to make on that show oh that is gonna <laughs> take forever sorry no, it's not you. <laughs> but we had a good time. Isn't that what it's about? <laughs>